Welcome to Darkgate Horror Podcast episode lucky number 13. This episode will discuss the screen films. I've been considering this for some time and then I received an email from Scott Sexton from Clarksville, Arkansas requesting this topic. He says, I think it's interesting that characters like Jason are scary because they are silent and deadly, while characters like Freddy are more fun because they can be interacted with. In Scream, the killer could be both. The characters and audience could have interaction while the killer was on the phone, and whenever we see the killer, he is silent and scary, with the exception of grunts and other non-words when he is hit. Thanks, Scott. I welcome any and all topic suggestions. Just let me know. As usual, I'll discuss everything about the films, so this is a spoiler alert. So let's start with some news in the world of horror. Since there are so many horror and thriller movies releasing soon, I want to let you know which ones are opening from now through June. Bug, starring Ashley Judd, open May 25th. There's a lot of talk and advertising for this film. Here's an excerpt from the review by BloodyDisgusting.com, my favorite horror website. Out of all of the hotel room films I've seen in the past few weeks, 1408, Bug, Sympathy, Vacancy, this one stands out in the crowd. Friedkin's directing is superb as he somehow manages to create space in such a claustrophobic room. Some might call this a fault, but I like that it felt much larger than it really was. In addition, the set design and actual look of the film were both superior works of art that made every inch of that white trash environment believable. In the end, Bug stops about one step short of becoming a David Cronenberg movie. It's complete madness, insanity, and disturbing to no end. I also love the reflection on our society that is so well hidden in the context of the story so that it's not preachy. If read between the lines, there's a great thought-provoking idea that will hopefully get our gears turning as you walk out of the theater after scratching your head in disbelief. It's a real shame that this tiny film will be overlooked in the midst of big summer movie madness. But if you can afford to see Bug, in addition to the 80 other movies hitting theaters, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. And here are some upcoming films for June 2007 that look interesting to me. June 1st, my birthday, is the release date for Daywatch, sequel to 2005's Nightwatch. A man who serves in a war between the forces of light and dark comes into possession of a device that can restore life to Moscow, which was nearly destroyed by an apocalyptic event. I actually have tickets to the screening of this one. I'll let you know how it is. Mr. Brooks, starring Kevin Costner, also releases June 1. Consider Mr. Brooks, a successful businessman, a generous philanthropist, a loving father and devoted husband. Seemingly, he's perfect, but Mr. Brooks has a secret. He is an insatiable serial killer, so lethally clever that no one has ever suspected him. Until now. The final release for June 1st is Rise. Rise is a supernatural thriller in which a reporter, Lucy Liu, wakes up in a morgue to discover she's no longer among the living. She vows revenge against a cult responsible for putting her there and hunts them down one by one. Chickless plays Rollins, a hunted police detective whose daughter is killed by the same cult, and seeks answers for her gruesome death. Hostel 2 will be released June 8. Looks pretty similar to the first one. Hopefully it's clever and well done. There is a marketing campaign to no end for this one. Fido will be released on June 15. It's another humorous zombie film, I think. Kind of looks like an adult version of Kenny the Shark, if you've seen that. 1408, which will be released on June 22nd, is a tale of a debunker of paranormal occurrences, John Cusack, who encounters real terror when he checks into Notorious Room 1408 at the Dolphin Hotel. It's based on the Stephen King story by the same name, and I'm really looking forward to this one. Seemingly a knockoff of Saw, Captivity, opens June 22nd. 
In the film, a man and woman awaken to find themselves captured in a cellar. As their kidnapper drives them psychologically mad, the truth about their horrific abduction is revealed. That's just the tip of the iceberg. There is a lot of horror and thriller in the works and will be released in the coming months. And I'll give you some highlights as we go along through the episodes. But let's move on to the main topic, Scream. So here's a brief introduction to the series. Scream is a 1996 smart satire of the horror film genre directed by Wes Craven and written by Kevin Williamson. Yes, the Kevin Williamson of Dawson's Creek fame. The film revitalized the slasher film genre in the mid-1990s, similar to what Halloween in 1978 did for the 70s. By using a concept of teens being brutally killed off with a tongue-in-cheek approach that successfully combined straightforward scares with dialogue that satirized slasher film conventions. It involves a psychotic serial killer wearing a Halloween costume and attempts to kill Sidney Prescott and various other characters involved in her life. Each film begins with the gory murder of a couple and takes off from there, leading to the revelation of the killer's identity and the final battle between Sidney and the killer. It's also highly acclaimed by many critics worldwide, fascinated by the, the film's tongue-in-cheek approach. As a result, it spawned two sequels. Scream was filmed in and around Hillsburg, California, in the heart of the Sonoma wine country, just north of San Francisco. First, let's talk about the one and original Scream, 1996. It's number 13 on Bravo TV's 100 Scariest Movie Moments. Here's a brief synopsis. Sydney Prescott, played by Nev Campbell, attempts to cope with the anniversary of her mother's brutal rape and murder. Meanwhile, two teenagers at her school, Casey Becker, played by Drew Barrymore, Steve Orth, Kevin Patrick Walls, have been killed. The next night, while at home alone, the killer, who calls their victims on the phone and taunts them between, before attacking, invades her house and attempts to kill her. The killer is known as Ghostface, who wears a Halloween costume reminiscent of the painting The Scream by Edward Munch. Sydney tries to sort through the trauma of being attacked and, in reaction to circumstantial evidence, points an accusatory finger at her boyfriend Billy Loomis, played by Skeet Ulrich. While staying with friend Tatum Riley, Rose McGowan, and Tatum's brother Dwight, nicknamed Dewey, played by David Arquette, the deputy sheriff, she receives a phone call from the killer. Billy's released, as he couldn't have been the killer if he was in jail. Sydney is forced to deal with the scandalization of her own attack by ambitious tabloid television newswoman Gail Weathers, played by Courtney Cox Arquette. Gail is responsible for a tell-all book revealing the promiscuous affair between Sydney's mother and her convicted killer, Cotton Weary, played by Liv Schreiber. School's canceled as a precautionary measure. What could be a better way to celebrate the closing of the school due to murders? Why, throw a party, of course. And the party, of course, becomes a bloodbath. Meanwhile, Gail senses the potential for a major scoop and hides a camera inside the house. She goes outside and begins searching with Deputy Dewey for anything suspicious. Meanwhile, at the party, Billy shows up and is confronted by Sydney. They eventually head upstairs, and Sydney loses her virginity to Billy. The party-goers soon receive word of the principal's death and head to the school football field to find his corpse. Finally, the truth is revealed. The murders were planned out and carried by Billy and Stu. Sydney is saved by Gail until she is knocked unconscious. Sydney manages to escape while they're dealing with Gail, and Sydney kills Stu in self-defense. Billy is shot by Gail, but comes back for one more scare, because they always come back. However, Sid shoots him in the head, finally killing him, and Dewey is shown being carried away in a stretcher alive. The film ends at daybreak, with Gail making an impromptu report of the events of the previous night as the authorities finally arrive on the scene. 
This film references many classic and not-so-classic horror films and other pop culture tidbits. Two of the most common references are to A Nightmare on Elm Street and his director, Wes Craven. The high school janitor, Fred, played by Craven, wears an outfit resembling Freddy Krueger's. Later in the film, Tatum tells Sydney that she is sounding like a Wes Carpenter flick, a fictional name created by compounding the name Wes Craven and John Carpenter, co-producer of the first three installments in the Halloween film series, co-writer of the first two, and director of the first. In addition to its producer, Halloween is referenced many times throughout the film. Billy's surname, Loomis, is the same as the Donald Pleasance's character in Halloween, which in turn was the name of Marion Crane's lover in Psycho. In a similar fashion to Marion Crane, played by Janet Leigh, Scream's highly billed actor, Drew Barrymore, dies early in the film. During the party scene when Billy arrives, Randy exclaims, Who let Leatherface in here? Of course, Leatherface is the antagonist in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. In fact, there were many more references, including Friday the 13th, Clueless, Silence of the Lambs, Carrie, Clerks, Frankenstein, and Prom Night. In a signature scene, when Billy comes into Sydney's room at the beginning of the movie, a cover of Blue Oyster Cult's song, Don't Fear the Reaper, performed by Gus Black, is played. This song is played in the first Halloween film when Annie and Laurie are on their way to babysit. The Rules a signature device, started in Scream and continued in 2 and 3, was the typical rules for that type of horror film being stated by the characters. In Scream, those rules, as described by Randy, are 1. You may not survive the movie if you have sex. 2. You may not survive the movie if you drink or do drugs. 3. You may not survive the movie if you say, I'll be right back. 4. Additional rules according to the killer. You may not survive the movie if you ask, Who's there? You may not survive the movie if you go to investigate a strange noise. For those of us who watch a lot of slasher films, these rules really do hold. This is one of my favorite parts of the films. So let's talk about some reviews. 86% fresh at Rotten Tomatoes. The cream of the crop gave it a 57%. Ouch. Kevin Thomas from the Los Angeles Times said in his review that it's sensational in both senses of the word, a bravura, provocative setup of horror pictures that's also scary and gruesome, yet too swift moving to lapse into morbidity. It risks going way over the top, deliberately generating considerable laughter in the process. It ends up a terrific entertainment that also explores the relationship between movies and their audiences, specifically, but hardly exclusively, teenagers who love the kind of pictures Craven specializes in. In his review of the film, Richard Harrington from the Washington Post said that Williamson's script was praised as containing a fiendishly clever, complicated plot, which deftly def mixes irony, self-reference, and wry social commentary with chills and blood spills. Peter Stack of the San Francisco Chronicle praises the film, saying, Scream may latch into hit status largely because there hasn't been a sizzling splatter movie for a while, but it's above average in that field, too. First-time screenwriter Williamson turns the jab at horror formula into wicked fun with flickers of intelligence. He continues, saying, For many who have lost sight of how entertaining a horror thriller can be, this one aims to get folks hyped. A particularly gruesome sequence has a couple of guys stabbing each other with kitchen knives, but try not to go deep enough to kill. Finally, he says that aside from the glop factor, this film disses pop culture with savvy, essentially slamming, as in your face, TV reporter played by Caddy Infections by Cox. The reviews are pretty positive, and the fans agree. The film won several awards, including Best Movie at the MTV Movie Awards and Saturn Awards for Best Actress, Nev Campbell. Best Writer, and Best Horror Film. Craven was awarded the grand prize at the Gerard Mur Film Festival. Let's move on to Scream 2 from 1997. 
The synopsis is that Sydney, Nev Campbell, and Randy, Jamie Kennedy, attend Windsor College now. They see on the news that a couple, Jada Pinkett Smith and Omar Epps, were murdered at the preview of Stab, a movie based on the book by Gail Weathers, Courtney Cox Arquette, about the Woodsboro murders. They realize that it's starting all over again. Dewey, David Arquette, is hanging around the campus to make sure Sydney's all right. Sydney's testimony helps getting caught and weary. Liv Schreiber released from prison and he shows up at the college with Gail Weathers to get an interview. The killer sets up a copycat ploy. Of course, there are several murders in the process and an attempt to kill Sydney. In the final confrontation on the school stage, the killers are revealed to be Sydney's new boyfriend's best friend, Mickey, played by Timothy Oliphant, and Mrs. Loomis, played by Laurie Metcalf, the mother of Sydney's previous boyfriend, Billy, who was the killer in the first film. Sydney then causes the stage to collapse on Mrs. Loomis. She survives and gets Sydney in an arm lock, and Cotton shows up and picks up Mickey's gun. Mrs. Loomis tries to convince Cotton to kill Sydney, but Cotton shoots Mrs. Loomis instead. Gail's alive as the bullet just bounced off her rib, but then Mickey suddenly jumps up and Gail and Sydney shoot him multiple times. Sydney turns around and shoots Mrs. Loomis in the head, just in case. The cultural references and trivia in this film were loaded even more than the first one. Robert Rodriguez filmed the film within a film stab in Scream 2. It was written by Kevin Williamson and directed the faculty based on Williamson's screenplay. Matthew Lillard makes a cameo in the scene set in the Kai Dem Alpha party. He can be seen entering the room as the camera pans around the beginning of the scene. According to Wes Craven, Nev and Matthew were dating at the time of filming. Despite rumors that Rose McGowan cameos in the theater scene, she does not. However, the camera lingers on an uncredited actress who looks like McGowan. Rose does appear in the background of the same party scene where Matthew Lillard makes a cameo. Wes Craven makes an uncredited Wes Craven makes an uncredited appearance in the hospital scene. There are a number of TV stars in the film. Nev Campbell from Party of Five, Courtney Cox Arquette from Friends, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Jerry O'Connell, Sliders, Tori Spelling and Rebecca Gayhart from Beverly Hills 90210, Joshua Jackson from Dawson's Creek, and Portisha DeRossi from Ellie McBeal. The original script has Cotton as one of the killers. Hallie and Derek are the others being boyfriend and girlfriend. The script ended with Cotton and Sydney fighting among the rafters of the theater. Mrs. Loomis's motivation for the killings were to avenge the murder of her son, Billy, one of the killers in Scream. This is a nod to Friday the 13th in which Mrs. Voorhees kills a number of people to avenge the death of her son, Jason. The film production was plagued by unusual summer heat, cast injuries, and frequent sound problems due to aircraft activity in the nearby area. Filmmakers were on such a tight schedule that many scenes and dialogue sequences in the film were entirely improvised by Wes Craven and the cast members. A young woman who greets Maureen and Phil at the theater and offers them their stab souvenir costumes were actually the winner of an MTV contest. Originally, the cafeteria sequence where Derek publicly serenades Sydney was a rendition of I Think I Love You was supposed to feature Dolly Parton's song I Will Always Love You, but filmmakers were unable to secure the rights. Every character in the screen films wears large black boots as to keep them a suspect. The scene in which Randy is killed in the news van is almost identical to the scene in Slumber Party Massacre. Also, the scene in which Derek has jumped for giving away his letters is similar to the scene in Final Exam, a movie that Randy mentions at one point in the film. A list of movies mentioned throughout this film are Aliens, The Terminator, Terminator 2, House 2, The Second Story, The Godfather Part 2, Star Wars, Top Gun, Friday the 13th, Candyman, and Showgirls. The Rules This film, the rules for the sequel as described by Randy, are 1. The body count is always bigger. Two, the death scenes are always much more elaborate with more blood and gore. 
And three, Randy starts to describe the third rule. If you want your films to become a successful franchise, never, ever before being interrupted by Dewey. The joke is that filmmakers are admitting there is no surefire way to ensure a film franchise is successful. However, the film's originally teaser trailer featured an extended version of the rules scene, which, which reveals that originally the third rule was supposed to be never, ever under any circumstances assume the killer is dead. This referenced Randy's last line in the original Scream, which stated a killer always comes back to life for one last scare. As far as reviews, it has a rating of 81% fresh at Rotten Tomatoes. The cream of the crop reviewers gave it an astounding 93%. Roger Ebert stated in his review that it's about as good as the original. In his review, Mick LaSalle from San Francisco Chronicle states, Corridors lined with doors that never open. Victims who run into dead ends will flee knife-wielding psychos. Killers who can't seem to pick up a phone unless they're inside the house of the person they're calling. These are the conventions of slasher movies, cliches by now. But Scream 2, now it on video, finds ways to make them fresh. Director Wes Craven's sequel to a surprise hit makes them fresh with a simple adjustment. The victims are as aware of slasher movie conventions as we are. So when they flee down a hall, run into dead ends, or get weird phone calls, the horror is mixed with a disbelief at finding themselves in a situation they thought only happened in movies. Throughout Scream 2, Craven and screenwriter Kevin Williams have fun working that line between movie convention and reality. Kevin Thomas from the Los Angeles Times stated in his review that there's enough ingenuity and scariness to please plenty of fans of the first film. It was nominated for three Saturn Awards, Nev Campbell for Best Actress, Best Horror Film, and Courtney Cox Arquette for Best Supporting Actress. It was nominated for International Horror Guild, the IHG, for Best Picture, and Nev Campbell won an MTV Movie Award for Best Female Performance, 1998 Fangoria Chainsaw Award, Best Wide Release Film, Kevin Williamson for Best Screenplay, and Courtney Cox for Best Supporting Actress. So that leaves us with Scream 3 from 2000. A brief synopsis, having experienced the trauma of the first two pictures, Campbell's Sidney Prescott's character now lives in a secluded area of California where she works as a women's crisis counselor from her home. Her whereabouts are unknown even to her surviving friends, save for Dewey, played by Arquette. Gail Weathers Cox has become a largely successful news reporter of a sensationalist style, thanks to the book she wrote revolving around the murders of the first two films and subsequent films based on the books. The film begins when Cotton Weary, Liv Schreiber, the man long ago suspected of killing Sidney's mother, is slaughtered along with his girlfriend. Suspected of being related to the original killings, Los Angeles police detectives led by Mark Kincaid, played by Patrick Dempsey, inform Gail Weather of Weary's murder, asking if she may know anything about a picture found at the murder scene. When she identifies the picture of Maureen Prescott, Sidney's mother, it becomes apparent the killings are linked to her murder. Meanwhile, Weathers visits the set of a latest film in the Stab series, Stab 3, Return to Woodsboro. There, she discovers a set that looks identical to the scene of the horrific real events that plagued her in the first Scream film. The visit also provides Weathers with the opportunity to meet director Roman Bridger, played by Scott Foley, and the various performers who are portraying the real-life people she knew or knows. Angelina Tyler, played by Emily Mortimer, as Sydney, Sarah Darling, Jenny McCarthy, as Candy, Tom Prince, played by Matt Kessler, as Dewey, and Jennifer Jolie, played by Parker Posey, as Gail herself. Soon, these actors are systematically killed off in the same order as they are slated to be murdered in the Stab 3 script. Sydney is brought in to help unravel who is behind these killings, but she is barely holding on to her own sanity because of the trauma of the past events. 
It turns out that Roman, who had faked his own murder, is the killer known as Ghostface, the connection being that he is the son of Sidney's mother, her half-brother. He was born because Sidney's mother had slept with a well-known director to get parts in his movies. Gail and her movie counterpart discover Sid's mother's acting career, which brought forth somewhat of a short-lived relationship as Gail, as fake Gail was killed towards the end. Eventually, when Sidney confronts Roman, she kills him by shooting him with the gun she snuck in, but he was wearing a bulletproof vest. He manages to shoot her in the heart, but she is also wearing a bulletproof vest, one from the police station, and kills him. As usual, Roman, being the main villain, wasn't really dead, and Dewey kills him for real after being told by Sidney, the only person who knew of Roman's bulletproof vest, to shoot Roman in the head. So for references and trivia, there are quite a few. Facing immense pressure to produce more hits after the success of Scream, I Know What You Did Last Summer, and Dawson's Creek, Kevin Williamson had become so overworked he eventually was forced to drop out and hand his writing duties over to newcomer Aaron Kruger. The original storyline is drafted by Kevin Williamson for the film revolved around the killings of a new, fresh-faced group of teenagers attending Woodsboro High School. The storyline was dropped quickly, the storyline was dropped towards the end of pre-production because of the events of Columbine High School. The plot was quickly altered and instead set in Hollywood with the killings revolving around the production of Stab 3. Wes Craven makes a cameo dressed as a tourist walking behind Jay and Silent Bob outside the Stab 3 set. Jay and Silent Bob, the popular characters from Kevin Smith's movies, appear as tours visiting Sunrise Studios. Kevin Smith would later go on to include Wes Craven in a cameo as a director of a fictitious Scream 4 in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. In addition, a copy of Scream 3 can be seen in the background of a scene taking place within a video store in Smith's 2004 film, Jersey Girl. Carrie Fisher plays Bianca Burnett, an employee of the studio making Stab 3. Talking with Gail, she says that when she was young, she tried to win the casting to play Princess Leia. Gail, played by Courtney Cox, makes mention of Jennifer's relationship with Brad Pitt. In reality, Cox's co-star, Jennifer Aniston, was married to Pitt. The name on the empty cinematographer's chair on the set of fictitious Stab 3 is the name of the real film's actual cinematographer, Peter Demme. During the studio tour, the tour guide mentions that of making a stop to the set of Seinfeld. Lance Hendrickson's director character shares the same name as the famous 17th century English poet John Milton, best known for his epic poem, Paradise Lost. Many have drawn similarities between the character in the film with Satan in Paradise Lost. Nev Campbell made a deal that stated that she could be on set for just 20 days, which is why she isn't as predominant character as she is in the other films. The green outfit worn by Parker Posey while on the set is the same one worn by Courtney Cox Arquette in the first movie. And the rules. Following Scream and Scream 2, in Scream 3, Sidney, Dewey, Gale, and Randy's sister, Heather Matarazzo, watch a video made by Randy, Jamie Kennedy, in a cameo role before his death in Scream 2. He states that if the third movie is just another sequel, then the standard rules for the sequel given in Scream 2 apply. However, if you find yourself dealing with an unexpected backstory and a predominance of exposition, then the sequel rules do not apply. Because you are not dealing with a sequel, you are dealing with the concluding chapter of a trilogy. The rules for the final concluding chapter of a trilogy are different. One, you've got a killer who's going to be superhuman. Stabbing him won't work. Shooting him won't work. Basically, in the third one, you got to cryogenically freeze his head, decapitate him, or blow him up. Number two, anyone including the main character can die. This means you, Sid. Three, the past can come back to bite you in the ass. Whatever you think you know about the past, forget it. The past is not at rest. Any sins you think were committed in the past are about to break out and destroy you. Number four, basically, in the third movie, 
all bets are off. It is also worth mentioning that in Scream 2, Randy states the sequels have bigger body counts, whereas Scream 3 about the same number of deaths as Scream 2. This is only true if you include the deaths of the killers along with the victims. If you don't, Scream 2 had 8 victims, while Scream 3 had 9 as the only Scream film to feature a double event where two victims are killed within minutes of each other prior to the finale. And the reviews. Sadly, this film received a 40% on Rotten Tomatoes. Critically, the film received mixed reviews. Some critics approved the tone. Some critics appreciated the tone of violence. The film contains much less gory than its predecessors. But we're disappointed with the plot. The movie was criticized for actually becoming a a slasher film, where the previous films spoofed them. In his review, James Berardinelli from Real View stated it best when he said, Unfortunately, there's nothing here that even the most inexperienced horror film fan would call innovative, and the predictable result is a movie that pales in comparison with his predecessors. Entertainment Weekly reviewer Owen Gleiberman summed it up in his review, saying, The only thing that movie kills with any decisiveness is your time. Finally, some kind words from Edward Gluthman from the San Francisco Chronicle saying it fulfills its modest ambitions by delivering a glib slasher spoof for the mall crowd. Overall, one of the more interesting aspects of the Scream film was the use of the extended backstory, which we are not given in full until the final film. Each film we think we know what is really happening, and then it's revealed in the next film what we once again only had part of the story. It is not until the climax of the third film that we are finally given all the information. The backstory is complicated, and if it had all been revealed in the first film, it would have been bogged the story down completely, and probably would have led to a lot of confusion and would not be the successful film's they are today. The backstory is very complicated, especially for the type of story. Generally, serial horror films do not get such a complicated premise. Keep in mind that these films are from the late 90s, a time in which we became privy to a lot more information faster than ever. Since this is a parody of serial killer films, it fits with the inclusion of the political and cultural aspects. Together, the series used 90 gallons of fake blood. Scream used 50, Scream 2 used 30, and Scream 10 or 3 used 10. David Arquette, Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox Arquette, Jamie Kennedy, and Liv Schreiber are the only five actors to appear in all three films. The song Right Hand and its sequel can be heard in all three films. There are five killers total, Stu Mocker and Billy Loomis in the first one, Mickey Altieri and Mrs. Loomis, who is the only female killer in the second one, and Roman Bridger in the final one. Scream 3 is the only movie to have one killer. So why is this a different and interesting serial killer than we see in other films? As Scott stated in his email that I read at the beginning of the podcast, it's because the characters can interact with him and yet he is silent and deadly when he is killing. He's kind of the best of both worlds, a mix of Michael Myers and Freddy Krueger. There are some political and cultural issues, and I'm not going to go into them, but you see things such as a wrongly convicted person, personal horror and the murder of a parent, and the role of media. And all of these things are parodied, but at the same time, they really do have a message. And again, if you think of the time frame, this was the 90s, the internet era. And I like that that inclusion was there and it wasn't just your standard slasher. And casting. It's eye candy. Need I say more? The casting in these films is genius. The films are so full of cameos of hot actors of the time and lots of actors who are just getting started who are now well-known. From Drew Barrymore to Sarah Michelle Gellar, there's a lot of talent in this trilogy. Trivia and cultural significance. Scream is a seminal series of expressionist paintings by Norwegian artist Edvard Munch. It is said by some to symbolize the human species taken by an attack of existential angst. 
The landscape in the background is Oslofjord, viewed from the hill of Ekberg. The Norwegian word skrik is usually translated as scream, but it's cognate with the English shriek. Occasionally, the painting has been called The Cry. And of course, this work has likewise fascinated film and television. Ghostface wears a Halloween mask inspired by the central figure in the painting. Reproductions of this mask are now very popular in common masks in the real world. On Money. The trilogy is one of the most successful horror franchises of all time, altogether nationally grossing more than $293 million. Scream 1, the domestic proceeds, took in just over 103 million, a worldwide sales of 173 million, and production budget of 15. Scream 2 had domestic sales of 101 million, worldwide sales of 71 million, and production budget of 24 million, and Scream 3 had domestic sales of 89 million, worldwide sales of 72 million, and production budget of 40 million. Very successful. That wraps up our discussion of Scream. The song tonight is I Want to Hear What You Have Got to Say by one of my favorite bands, The Subways. Enjoy. Another day is here and I am still alive. I'll say these words aloud, they speak from the inside. And every time I see you, you just walk away. I want to hear what you, what you've got to say, hey, hey, hey.
for listening, dear friends. The next episode will discuss Stephen King's novel, The Cell, and give an introduction to zombie myths and legends. If you have any topic suggestions or just want to say hi, feel free to email me at darkgatehorror at gmail.com and visit my website at darkgatehorror.blogspot.com. The song tonight is brought to you by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com. Take care, and I'll talk to you soon.